This is episode number 14 with Dr. Chiki Davis. Welcome to the Mindset Horizon podcast. My name is Tibor Nard, mindset and performance coach and the founder of Mindset Horizon. The mission of this weekly show is to reveal the disruptive mindset of purpose-driven entrepreneurs, high performers, visionaries, and change makers, so you can transform your mindset, realize your full potential, and execute on your dreams. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Now let's get started. Welcome back everyone to the Mindset Horizon podcast. Before introducing today's guest, let me guys tell you a little bit more about the Mindset Nation community, a Facebook group that I highly recommend you to join. In this community, you have the chance to get in touch with other like-minded listeners, the incredible guests on the show, and of course with me, the host himself. You can ask questions, give feedback, and engage in different conversations. On top of that, you will know everything about the most important freebies and takeaways and the latest news about brand new episodes. You can join this community by simply clicking on the link in the show notes or visiting our website, MindsetHorizon.com. So let's dive into the introduction. My guest today is Dr. Chiki Davis from Silicon Valley, California. And in this episode, we talk about Dr. Chiki's new book, Outsmart Your Smartphone, Conscious Tech Habits for Finding Happiness, Balance, and Connection in Real Life. After talking about what happiness means and how it is defined in positive psychology, we focus on the core topics that are included in the book, such as building foundational skills to increase happiness, staying present versus being distracted by technology, building meaningful connections online, managing emotions, practicing kindness, being true to ourselves, and beating the hedonic treadmill. And now a couple of words about today's guest. Dr. Chiki Davis is a writer, consultant, and expert at the intersection of happiness and technology. After earning her PhD from the University of California in Berkeley in psychology, Dr. Chiki created the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute to translate the science of happiness in technology products that promote well-being, these products that have reached more than a million people worldwide. Dr. Chiki now focuses mostly on writing inspiring articles that help people develop health and happiness in the digital age. These articles can be found all across the web, including at Psychology Today, Shine Text, and Greater Good Magazine. So without further ado, let's welcome today's guest. Hi, Chiki, and welcome to the show. Hi, it's so good to be here. Yeah, such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really honored and happy to have you here with me today and excited about the topics that we are going to cover. Uh, one of them is your very new book, Outsmart Your Smartphone. But before we dive into those interesting topics, would you talk to us a little bit more about yourself? And more importantly, how did you get where you are today? And I know that you have a mission to increase happiness. So how did you end up being an expert at the intersection of happiness and technology? Yeah, well, so I um, was always interested in well-being and um, I got my undergraduate degree in psychology and art. And then um, I spent a lot of time actually between undergrad and grad school kind of figuring out what direction I wanted to go in. And I got really interested in emotion and emotion regulation. And so I ended up pursuing a PhD in uh, psychology, studying emotion at UC Berkeley. And 
I just sort of stumbled upon the technology component because I was in the Bay Area and technology is all big there and ended up building um, like an online program uh, helping people to boost their happiness and well-being and improve their emotion regulation in grad school and then kind of went from there and started making more programs and working with different organizations. And then when I graduated, I started uh, helping businesses build happiness apps and programs and courses and things like that. Um, and then this book was just kind of the next logical step for me. So that's sort of how I ended up here. Mm. And what what is it that you focus on right now? So what what do you do? I mean, I know that you are a writer, for example, and you are an author. So what are the main focuses, uh, applications, books, writings? So what are those things? Yeah, I um, have been spending, I probably spent about 50% of my time consulting with businesses, helping them build um, technology type tools for happiness and well-being. So for example, I consult with the Greater Good Science Center, helping them um, with uh, the website uh, Greater Good in Action. People can check that out. It's like a, a website where there's all sorts of little activities that help you boost your well-being, and they're all based in science. And so I've been helping them kind of figure out how to tailor those activities to people's individual needs. And so I do projects um, like that for lots of different companies. Uh, and I also do scientific writing for organizations like Hope Lab. Um, they need, you know, they do a lot of research, and they need somebody to kind of help translate that research into articles that, you know, everybody in the regular world can understand. So I help them do that. And then, like you said, the majority of my time is spent kind of writing blog posts. And in the last year, I spent a lot of time writing the book. Now I'm sort of trying to find a new project to fill that space that was used by, um, that was used spending time writing that book. Uh, but those are the main ways I spend my time. And how, how deep did you go into, into happiness? So when it comes to research, for example, because I know that you have done a lot of research uh, also connected to your book, Outsmart, your smartphone. Like when it comes to well-being and happiness, and you have a lot of blog posts on that uh, on your website. How deep did you go into this topic? In grad school, uh, I went really deep into like the sort of the minutia of the different types of emotion regulation strategies people can use to improve happiness, well-being, mental health, broadly speaking. Um, since graduating, I focused a lot more on the application of this science. So it's like, like all the, a lot of research is out there and it takes years to produce just one study. So I'm now I'm trying to kind of like bring those studies together and figure out what is the most beneficial for who and in what circumstances and how to make these um, strategies that we know are, that are supported by research most effective for people. So I try to do this in the book and in my work with the Greater Good Science Center, um, kind of combining the research of happiness with the research on like learning and motivation so that we can figure out how, like what is the actual best way for people to build a skill like gratitude or positive reappraisal or something like that. So it's not necessarily like the, you know, in the lab research that I'm conducting now, it's more mm -hmm. figuring out how the research that's mm -hmm. already been conducted can be used to most benefit people. And I find that to be where I fit best because it's like, yeah. there's really great scientists out there doing really great work. And we really need somebody to take that work and turn it into something that people can actually use. So that's where I fit mm. in. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And, um, you know, when it comes to happiness, I was always wondering, 
like it's 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 an abstract word for for people like I always tell people like when someone says, for example, I want to find happiness or I want to be happy. Like it's a little bit abstract what I'm what I'm aiming for, what I'm searching for. Yeah, for sure. So how would you define this this word happiness when someone is listening right now and they wonder, okay, do I know what I'm what I what I want or or what is happiness for me and then yeah, great question. Uh, so the research world kind of splits um, happiness into two pieces. There's the hedonic piece, which is just the sort of pure emotional joy that um, a lot of people seek and you can achieve in healthy and unhealthy ways. And then there's the uh, what they call eudaimonia or eudaimonic part of happiness, which is sort of like that feeling that like your life is good and that you have meaning and purpose and all that good stuff. And so when I talk about happiness, I kind of smush these together because I don't really think um, like the American definition of happiness or, or, you know, the human definition of happiness is complete without both of those pieces because you want to feel good and also feel like your life has meaning. So, but at the same time, I think um, people can sometimes get a little bit, um, have like a little bit of unrealistic expectations for, for happiness and what they're actually shooting for. So when we uh, keep trying to strive for happiness in like the modern world, we, you know, we want the good car and the good house and the good partner and the good everything. And that's not necessarily what leads to happiness. So we have to be really careful, I think, about how we define happiness. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really, really important. And that's why I asked this question because, you know, I'm in the world of coaching and I'm an Ericsson professional coach and I approach this topic a little bit not differently, but, you know, not from a science point of view. But, you know, when I talk to people and they um, they tell me that they want to be happy, I always tell, uh, talk about, for example, values and purpose, mm-hmm. uh, which is really important to get clear on, like, what are you uh, passionate about and intrinsic motivation can come from, for example, values and living those values. So I usually talk about values and 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 defining those values, what's really important to you in your life. And then figuring, uh, not figuring, but focusing on those things uh, instead of uh, saying an abstract word to yourself mm-hmm. that you don't know what what it really means to you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting topic and a big question for a lot of people, I think. And the things that you, you've mentioned, for example, these external things, car, house, this is very external, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that internal. So these are mainly uh, external motivators for people, I would say. And uh, did you go into motivation as well? Because you mentioned motivation at the beginning of the conversation, connected to happiness, like happiness and motivation. Um, I focus on motivation as it relates to like achieving our quote unquote happiness goals. So for example, Like in the uh, workplace world and probably in your coaching work, you know, you're trying to figure out how to get people to to do the things that are good for them, right? Like in the diet world, we talk about motivation all the time. It's like you need to actually like get up and go to the gym every day. And so there's like if you put your shoes out, that's like a little tiny trick that might be helpful in getting you to actually go to the gym. But there's not been a lot of research and people don't really talk about that same kind of stuff when it comes to building mental health type skills, happiness skills. And so I'm mm-hmm. really interested in what is it that we need to actually do or put in our environment that gets us to practice things like gratitude 
or mm-hmm. for example, um, in the book, I talk a lot about ways we can use technology to kind of keep us motivated. So for example, on my Google calendar, I just set up a little reminder to do something, uh, to do like a random act of kindness for my husband once a week. And Mm -hmm. I might forget that, like we're all busy people, but since my Google calendar sends me an email once a week to remind me, I'm like, oh yeah, like maybe I didn't do that last week. And um, I have like a little list there for myself to give me some ideas. It's just Mm. these little tricks so that we don't have to rely on our own motivation, which, you know, is we're busy people and it's hard to do that. So it's (laughs) nice to have these little tricks to sort of keep us motivated to keep building these skills and keep um, doing the Mm. things that we know do lead to happiness. Mm. Absolutely. And um, is it okay if we go and dive into your book, uh, Outsmart Your Smartphone, and we can talk about uh, different topics inside of the book because there are a lot of tips uh, for people and they can go through each chapter and find a lot of useful information on mindfulness and different things. So the book is called Outsmart Your Smartphone, Conscious Tech Habits for Finding Happiness, Balance, and Connection in Real Life. And uh, so who is this book for? What's the aim of the book? And what are the chapters included in the book? Yeah, so I think the book was written kind of for just your average person who's trying to figure out how to like have a healthy relationship with their phone. I think that I fall into this category. I think everybody I talk to pretty much falls into this category more or less, Um, particularly folks in the kind of millennial generation. Um, But also I've been talking to some parents and it seems like millennials, Gen Xers are concerned about how their um, teenagers and younger kids are using their phones. So I think it's also really useful for parents, not necessarily because it gives you tips for how to manage your kids' smartphone behavior, but it helps you kind of understand the ways in which um, they can use their phones that are hurting them and maybe help uh, give parents some ideas for how to teach their kids strategies that can have help them have healthier relationships with their phones and build healthy relationships with others using their phones. So that's mm. kind of, I'm hoping that's the audience. That seems to be the people who are uh, most resonating with this book. Um, yeah. And there are lots of different um, parts in the book. Do you have any specific directions you want to send me in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, for example, the main problem that you try to solve with the book uh, is, I think, the smartphone syndrome, right? So the problem that prevents us from increasing our happiness, because the book is about um, how you can build a healthier relationship with technology, right? And so there's this core problem, smartphone syndrome, and then different steps in the book. So would you just tell us a little bit more about the problem? Why is it a problem? And then we will go and dive into the chapters. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think the media is is doing a pretty good job of telling us, like, what all, are all the problems with technology, right? Like, it's talking about, um, you know, kids aren't socializing as much in person. They're comparing themselves to others online, or not mm-hmm. just kids, but all of us are. Um, we're always on our phones, so we can't sort of like have uninterrupted conversations with other people anymore. And then there's mm-hmm. also just the idea that technology is automating jobs and um, things like that that are bigger, a bit broader picture that we forget about. Um, and then there's the whole, um, you know, uh, false sort of advertising that's going on on Facebook. So it's just like all these different things that seem to be culminating in this big problem with technology. Um, and then we know recent research suggests that um, 
over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, less than that even, mm -hmm. uh, rates of depression and anxiety are kind of like shooting through the roof and people's mm -hmm. loneliness yeah. is shooting through the roof and our social connections seem to be dwindling. And people think that this is likely at least partly because of technology. So mm. we seem to have this general sense that there's this problem, but at the same time, we all sort of know the solution isn't to just like stop using our phones and stop using technology. That's just not going to happen. So I kind of got to this point where I was like, okay, well, we have this problem that's hurting our mental health. We know it is, and we can't, it's like, you know, similar to an eating disorder. We can't just stop eating all food. So how do we have this better relationship with technology? How do we use it in ways that are good for us? And uh, how do we stop using it in certain ways that are good for us and things like that? And so the book dives into that in a lot of different ways. Mm. It's such an interesting topic because um, you mentioned, for example, connection. So we might feel that we are much more connected than ever before through social media and Facebook and Instagram. But it actually, it's not the case. So, you know, I work a lot online, so I can definitely... Uh, you know, say that it, connecting with someone via Zoom or Facebook or something like that, it's not the same when, when meeting someone in person, right? And uh, like, what's the difference uh, between in-person connection and, and social media connections? Like, why, why is it so different? Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, the research hasn't done this comparison perfectly yet, but there are some clues. So, like we we know that even connecting to people online in ways where you like reveal something about yourself or you or ways that we know improve relationships can still be beneficial. So it's not necessarily mm -hmm. that interacting through technology is harmful. I think the biggest problem that I've seen is that we tend to interact in ways that aren't beneficial. So like a lot of the time, if we're on social media, we're just perusing through people's walls or reading articles or learning about their lives and not actually connecting with anyone. So that's more mm -hmm. like, um, like passive uh, engagement versus active engagement. And we know that that likely has a different uh, effect on people's mental health and well-being. Mm -hmm. um, and then in person, there's a lot of uh, facial cues and body language and all these things that we can't quite pick up on when we're online. Um, and I, it's, there's also some more research that shows that um, people's empathy is starting to decline. And it seems that, that that may be because we don't like see when somebody's face collapses in sadness, if we say something hurtful or like they look confused when we say something that doesn't make sense. And so we're not learning to pick up on other people's social cues very well. And that, in the long run can negatively affect our relationships and how we interact with people even face to face so it's like it's not just that the connections aren't as good online they're teaching us skills that we're applying in real life and that, that could be hurting us too yeah and uh, somewhere you've mentioned that it's not uh it's not about social media but it's about our behaviors and mm -hmm. the thing that you've mentioned scrolling through and not engaging so let's dive into the book um, and chapter number one is build foundational skills. So what's this all about? Would you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So this gets back a little bit to the idea that um, we need to use these motivational tricks to keep ourselves on track. So before I was even interested in the technology part of or where technology interacts with happiness, I was working on building these sort of happiness and well-being programs. 
And in that work, I quickly learned that people can want to be happy more than anything in the world, but it's just like they want to, they might want to lose weight more than anything in the world, but you need to figure out how to stay motivated over the long haul in order to get the benefits from building these types of skills. So in the first chapter of this book, it's kind of all about what actually puts us on the right track to build the skills we need to be happier in the context of the technology age. So I focus um, first on just kind of like setting a plan and setting a schedule and just blocking out time to work on your happiness. I know people don't often think of mental health as a skill you need to build, but it's very much like any other skill. And we need to set aside time like I'm going to set aside 10 minutes to write a gratitude list, let's say like once a week, like it doesn't have to be that much time or 30 minutes to go to to the gym, which is actually, you know, good for both mental and physical health or, you know, 30 minutes to just like have coffee with a friend that makes me feel good. Like those things are key and the essentials of, of what people need to do to get well. So it's just setting aside the schedule and getting that stuff all set up. And then the next Mm. part is, let's see, which order do I do this in? One of the parts is um, just kind of establishing better work-life balance. I think, and I imagine a lot of the people you interact with probably have, you know, stressful jobs and just like figuring out how to put this all into your life can be challenging. But when we're really stressed out or burnt out, we don't have really the mental resources to build the skills we need to improve our happiness. So it's like, if I need to learn how to positively reappraise a situation, which is to find the good things in a bad situation, that takes a lot of mental resources and energy. And if we're burnt out, we're just not going to be as successful at it. And like, if we're not sleeping enough, we're not going to be as successful at it. So it's just like finding balance, I think is essential to, again, building any of these skills that you need to be happy. Um, and then there's one other skill in chapter one, but I can't recall what it is. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really really great, and I, I know that you have a 28 day challenge, and it's available online. So it's 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 basically a step by step guide for someone uh, that can help them, yeah, outsmart their smartphone or be more aware of these things. There are four weeks included in this program, if I'm not mistaken, 28 days. So yep. would you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, about this? sure. Yeah. The 28 day challenge is just like basically my way of giving people just like a little nibble of something to chew on and see if they like it. So it's um, yeah. 28 tiny little things that you can do for 28 days. Like I can't even remember what they are. They're just like little tiny things, like send a text to someone saying you're thankful for something. So all of them can be completed in just like a couple of minutes. And that can just help people get started and then also just stay committed to the process for a chunk of time and see if this is something that they're interested in. Awesome. So they will find it in the show notes uh, of the podcast. So I will put it in the show notes. And then chapter two is stay present, which is, I think, a very interesting uh, topic. So what's what's stay present? Yeah, well, so another issue with... Um, building happiness in this technology crazed world is that we're, our attention is drawn everywhere, right? Like our phones are binging all the time. I can't remember what the stat is, but most people pick up their phones like more than a hundred times a day. Many people use their phones like in the bathroom or even during sex. Like the research is fascinating on this. 
And so we're distracted. So the idea is when something's constantly pulling your attention away from the present moment, then you're not like, obviously you're like not staying present. And so this is all about building the skills to stay present, not just necessarily by like turning off notifications or silencing your phone for chunks of time. Although that is part of it. The other part is like intentionally being like, um, like one of the examples I use in the book that I just found so impactful when I tried it Mm -hmm. in my own life is I was Mm -hmm. waiting for like a friend to arrive uh, at a restaurant to meet me for dinner. And you see everybody who's like there, they're all on their phones, they're looking down, nobody's making eye contact. And I just put my phone in my pocket and just sort of stood there awkwardly (laughs) and, and stayed present. And then you just get to experience like what it is to be in this world without having your phone in front of you. And I know that that sounds strange, but I'm sure people are also thinking like, oh yeah, when was the last time I did that? <laughs> and it's just really good to get re- like re-in-touch with the things that are going on in your mind and, and in your emotions and figure out like, why is it mm. that you even turn to your phone? Because when I did this, I realized like, I kind of do it as like a nervous habit where I'm like, oh, like I'll feel awkward if I stand here like this. And like, this will make me feel like I fit in. So it's just, I think a good thing to try. And anyway, and staying present is just a bunch of techniques like that. So figuring out how to just be in the moment. And it turns out when we learn how to stay present, we can kind of enjoy everything a lot more. So it's a really great skill. Yeah. And you mentioned, for example, these habits of looking at the phone. Uh, this is one I wanted to uh, get back to. For example, I realize sometimes that I look at my phones in a habitual way. So this is a habit that I do that Sometimes I'm aware, so that's what I want to say. That sometimes I aware that I look at my phones. I didn't. I didn't want to look at my phone, but I did. So it was an unconscious mm-hmm. habit, I suppose. But I get aware that I do this, and then I can stop this. So um, the thing that I want to say is that sometimes I feel that people are not really aware, or I suppose that people are not really aware of these habits. So these habits become unconscious patterns right because i do it uh so many times and i uh, do it unconsciously after a while and then sometimes somehow we need to uh, you know uh, break this habit so how do you how do you how do you break this habit and my answer is i think awareness and mindfulness is the first step like you need to be aware of your habits and behaviors before you can do anything about it and staying present and being mindful i suppose this is something about this like how do you practice mindfulness or what do you suggest people or in your book to to practice mindfulness yeah i i'm not um, a mindfulness expert by any means but uh, definitely in my research and in my work i I try to focus on mindfulness Mm -hmm. in the present moment a lot more than like the like mindful meditation of course is a a huge Mm -hmm. interest of many people's these days but you don't necessarily need to like, you know, sit in a quiet room on a pillow and meditate in order to get the benefits of mindfulness. So I'm a big advocate of, like, like you said, like just um, practicing awareness and acceptance. Mindfulness mm-hmm. is basically those two things combined. We're just like taking a moment to just like shut down the thoughts. Obviously that's not easy and it takes a lot of practice and just focus on what's around you. So like an easy way just, you know, to try it out right now is like, like look around the room and just like list the things you see. 
That's sort of like an observational mindfulness type skill. Take a deep breath. Feel how the air feels in your, going in your body and then going out of your body. It's very much mm. just the awareness of your experience instead of always like being in your thoughts or being elsewhere. And so then mm. like another trick um, that I talk about in the book is, or, or something that I think we struggle with is when we're always um, taking photos of all of our experiences. So if I'm like, oh, like I want to take a photo of this so that I can post it on Facebook so that people see it so that they have this response that is like the opposite of being present. Your mind is like 12 steps away thinking about how other people are thinking about you and how you're going to post it and how it's going to look and all these things instead of just experiencing the you know waterfall or whatever it is you're taking a photo of. And so mm-hmm. I advocate that people like when you get the urge to do that, think about why you're actually taking that photo. Like, is it, does it have anything to do with appreciating and accepting and experiencing the moment? Or does it have to do with how other people will view your experience? And if mm-hmm. that's the case, like there's not any, necessarily anything wrong with that, but if we're practicing mindfulness, you know, take a little break, just be present and don't snap the photo. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a very, very common phenomenon, you know, and they then observe how many likes they get and that, why it's important. And, and there's I think it's uh, to do yeah. that. But like, if we want to build our happiness, we need to build these skills also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't know, you know, it, uh, it reminded me of a fact that some people um have an identity based on external expectations yeah. uh, or might develop an identity based on external, um, how do you say, expectations and people's view. And this is my, this might be the, the world of the ego. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, my identity is based on what other people think of me. So I do everything that people will like me and so on and so forth. So this is a, with social media, it, it, it can be something like this, I suppose, that, you know, I show people that I am this, I don't know, perfect person. And, uh-huh. and you know, I, I share those posts that I am here with this waterfall, uh, traveling somewhere, Dubai, whatever, you know. So, yeah, this is this is a common phenomenon, I would say. But um, Yeah, and I think yeah. there's, t- like, two additional problems with that. The first is that when we post the like perfect version of ourselves, we're kind of not accepting the imperfect parts of us. And I think that that can get tricky for people because they're like, Oh, like those, these imperfect parts of me or my flaws or my like weird things aren't okay. And I I feel like that can hurt self-esteem. And then on the flip side, when we post our, you know, perfect partner and our perfect vacation and our perfect life, it can actually cause um, envy and and sort of jealousy in others. So we might be harming our social relationships by doing that with the sort of humble brag on, on Facebook or, or other social media. So it's like we get something out of it by like being like, oh, I'm so proud of all the stuff. But I think in the long run, it's probably not so good for us. Absolutely. And I think uh, you tap into this into these topics and practices in chapter five, which is practice kindness and how you yeah. interact with people, how you communicate with others online. 
So I know that we we started the uh, so we were at chapter two, <laughs> stay present and from mindfulness. And, and there's a ton part. in this book. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely exactly. am all so, focused on like the how. So there's just a ton of different strategies that people can use, and like and so it's like yeah, pick the ones you like, skip the ones you don't like, and so yeah, it's a lot to cover. Yeah. So for example, in chapter five, practice kindness. What are some ways to communicate with each other? with kindness or practice kindness online? What are some tips? Yeah, um, I, I include uh, tips for uh, communicating online, I believe mostly in, in chapter three on building uh, meaningful mm-hmm. connections. Uh, and one mm-hmm. strategy is, uh, my one of my favorites is to post uh, what I call a pro-social post. So the, mm-hmm. the social psychology research um, uh, defines pro-sociality as basically doing something that supports others or is kind or is, is generous in some way. And we can do the very same thing online. Like we were just talking about most of the posts online are like, oh, I did this thing or here's a picture of me or here's like the fancy meal I ate. But those aren't pro-social, those are self-focused. And so to be pro-social, you'd be like, well, what would my community enjoy? Like some people do this, they post like a video that people will think is is funny or like the, you know, the cat videos are maybe a great example. Or I have yeah. a friend who almost exclusively just posts jokes on social media. And so I'm, yeah. I'm always really excited to read them. Cause it's like, Oh, that gave me a giggle. And that's, that's like builds connections instead of hurting them. Yeah. I totally agree. What I post is uh, normally inspirational content. So I really like these contents because I always feel I am of service to people. So I use social media mainly for for posting inspirational content. And the podcast is, is similar. So when I share the content, I always feel that this is something that I share and positive and people can see and, you know, this, this will help them in some way. So, yeah. Um, and chapter four is uh, manage your emotions. What's this all about? Yeah. Well, a, a few years ago, um, I did some research. I was trying to look and figure out what strategies, what emotion regulation or like happiness boosting strategies are most effective. And um, I did this little quiz and found out that the, the strategies related to uh, emotion management. So um, building resilience, positivity, and self-compassion mm-hmm. tended to be the most closely linked with happiness, which suggests that these may be the most important skills for building happiness in, in this current time. Mm-hmm. So this chapter is about those three things. It's just um, how to be self-compassionate in a world that where everybody's posting their best selves online, um, how to be more positive. Uh, it focuses a lot on um things like gratitude and positive reappraisal, but also when it's appropriate to use those in real life versus online and then just building resilience. Cause this is, a, a, I think a difficult time to be alive for many people. And, uh, you know, things like jobs are being automated and the world is changing really rapidly and we need to have resilience if we're going to be able to cope with that. Yeah. Amazing topics. And, um, yeah, we talked about practice kindness. This is chapter five, but what's what's this then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, we talked, we went back a little bit for for that question. Uh, in, in practicing yeah. kindness, I approach this, I think, a very different way than um, most of the so- social uh, or the positive psychological research. Because I think when you tell people to practice kindness and they don't want to or like they're like oh like I don't want to do something nice for someone I hate like that doesn't feel good or I don't want to give to this organization that doesn't feel good so the chapter focuses a lot on 
how you figure out what types of kindness feel good to you. So it actually ties back into what you're talking about earlier about finding your values and then using those to figure out like what's your purpose and ways you can give back to the world that suit you and your needs and what you're interested in. Cause like for, Mm -hmm. you know, for one person, you know, they may want to like help Greenpeace, but maybe that's just like not a good fit for other people. But once you know your values, you can zoom in more easily on um, engaging in kindness that suits your needs. So I like that approach. Yeah, yeah, it's really important. And uh, you said something like that. Uh, algorithms decide the news we read, the posts we see, and the people we meet. As a result of technology, most of us now exist in our own filter bubbles. Yeah. What's this filter bubble? Would you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah. So. Um, like Facebook, for example, but I think probably all the social media um, apps, um, they choose what you see, right? So like all of your friends are posting all these things and advertisers are posting all these things, but in your wall or your feed or whatever app you're using, it's like curated for you. And they're trying to pick the content that you most want to see or that makes you stay on the longest. So what I'm seeing is completely different from what you're seeing is completely different from what like, you know, Bob is seeing. And so we all exist in these worlds where we may not understand what's happening with other people. And so it's my belief, or it seems like this could potentially be part of what's contributing to our inability to understand others and be empathetic for others because we're not seeing other opinions and so it sort of just all factors into that. And if we practice kindness and we're open to other people's, you know, experiences, then hopefully we can fight back against some of those filter bubble effects. Yeah, absolutely. And algorithms are literally created to grab our attention. Some people yeah. might not know about these things. And that's why it's, it's, uh, it's good to talk about these because average users i don't know you know they use social media and then the platforms and marketing and they they think that this is some kind of a divine intervention that i see this post you know i just needed this mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of support or or i don't know product or service and this is maybe marketing um yeah and chapter 6 is be true to yourself what mm-hmm. is this all about <laughs> Uh, I mean, this is focuses a bit more on about how we only show the best sides of ourselves on social media. And I think that is kind of filtering into the rest of the world now too, a little bit. So like we start to believe that we have to be perfect um, and we can't be vulnerable and we can't share our secrets or maybe it's not appropriate to share our secrets in on social media but because we're not having as many in-person connections we basically don't have the opportunity to be ourselves and be vulnerable around others which again strengthens uh social relationships so this chapter is sort of like figuring out like what parts of ourselves we're like suppressing or, or not appreciating and starting to value those and show those to people that we, that we feel comfortable showing, or maybe not always, maybe we have to push ourselves a little bit um, and just learning how to be more authentic, which is something that again, seems to just be being, is being tampered down on in the technology age, perhaps because of social media or whatever, but it's definitely something that people struggle with a lot these days. Absolutely. And it uh, fosters deeper connections, as you said. Mm -hmm. So if I tend to be, or if I'm, 
how to say open to be vulnerable yeah uh you know it it it, it fosters deeper connections so if i put out a video let's say and you know i share something uh on a human level i would say right i share a lot of content and um i realize that yeah people can connect uh or relate to contents um more when i open up for example i become vulnerable i share something you know on a human level for absolutely example. yeah so be true to yourself be authentic it's it's really yeah, uh, it's, a great chapter and hard these days so it, it seems like so obvious but it's a skill that people still need a lot of help with yeah and uh chapter seven is beat the hedonic treadmill what's this all about yeah so the hedonic treadmill is uh, a positive psychology term that basically is based on some research that shows that when something like amazing and wonderful happens to us or we spend time building you know some type of happiness skill and we get a boost in happiness for whatever reason there's this tendency for us to eventually kind of slide back to our original level of happiness, our, our baseline. So it's, it's sort of like they call it the hedonic treadmill because we're kind of always running, trying to seek out these positive emotions and never really getting anywhere. Mm. Um, so, but luckily recently there's been some research on kind of how we can beat the hedonic treadmill because it's really just a matter of our brains kind of adjusting to the new world we live in. You know, like, let's say like you get the promotion and like you're happy for a moment until you're like, oh, but now I want this other promotion or this other thing. Um, and that doesn't even have to be monetary. Like, let's say I start practicing gratitude and it's like really amazing at first and I feel really good. And then after a while, I keep doing it. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I like, I don't know if I'm getting any more from this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so this chapter is all about, um, it's kind of like tricking the brain a little bit so that uh, you switch things up a lot and you do things with other people and you keep your brain guessing in the way that you're like building happiness skills in different ways or you're like hanging out with different people or trying different skills or doing different workshops. And then you kind of like always keep your brain guessing so that you're always boosting your happiness in different ways so that you don't slide back to your original level of happiness and you kind of maintain like all the benefits that you've worked so hard to get with the rest of the book or whatever it is that you're doing. So it's a really important step that I think most of the books in this space don't really focus on. And what are, what are those practices, for example, um, that aim for long-term happiness goals, so to speak, not just short uh, boosts? Yeah, so it's tricky. So this, this is why people don't talk about this, because it's not just like, oh, you need to do this happiness practice, and this is the one that will make it last for a long time. It's really that you have to be um, strategic and switch things up. So it's very much like if you're a weightlifter, you keep doing bicep curls, and your biceps get bigger, but like the rest of your body doesn't. And so in this way, you just got to like keep working out kind of different parts of your brain with different activities. So maybe one week I do gratitude and the next week I work on resilience. And then the next week I like focus on living my values. And then the next week I'm like, oh, I'm tired of all this. I'm just going to like exercise. And then it just keeps your brain growing basically instead of Mm. getting stale and used to whatever it's, you know, been doing. So it's really variety is really the answer to that question. Yeah, it is so true. I haven't thought about this. It's a re- really great piece of advice because, yeah, it's the same as as you mentioned, exercise. Inner size is the same, right? Yeah, uh, any free giveaways for the listeners? Uh, I know that you have, for example, this, uh, as I mentioned before, 28-day challenge to, to outsmart your smartphone. 
uh, I've seen something like smartphone syndrome quiz. Yep. On, on my website, which is berkeleywellbeing.com, there's the 28-day Outsmart Your Smartphone Challenge, which you can download at any time. There's also a smartphone syndrome quiz. It's just kind of a few questions to get you a sense of, you know, which areas you may be struggling with more than others. And then these, um, I believe that I made this so that they're tied to chapters. So you, you would know exactly like, oh, I'm not doing so good on this thing, but I'm doing okay on this other thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's just like tons of other articles related to happiness and many related to happiness and technology on my website. So there's lots of goodies there. Awesome gonna be in the show notes and uh before i ask my last question tell people where they can find you online yep you can find me at uh, berkeleywellbeing.com is my personal website and then my psychology today blog is um, Mm -hmm. i forget the exact thing but it's click here for happiness at psychology today and that's there's tons of good stuff on there and my last question is what is your mission? Like, what is it that you are aiming for? So what's, what's the legacy that you want to leave with all, all the things? That- yeah, I think broadly speaking, I really want to help people cope better with, you know, the difficult situations that we all encounter, learn how to manage their negative emotions and build a little bit more happiness. And everything I do kind of connects to that in one way or another. Mm, the aim of life. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing this. And Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yes, it's great chatting with you. What is up, Mindset Nation? Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope this episode's been highly valuable to you. And if so, please make sure to spread the word and share this episode with your friends. We are on a mission to build this community of Mindset Nation. So please make sure to go to iTunes, go to Stitcher and support us by rating and reviewing the show. And don't forget to subscribe as well. For more information about Mindset Horizon, simply visit our website MindsetHorizon.com and sign up to our weekly newsletter to get the latest information about new episodes, Mindset Transforming freebies, tips and insights. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Leave us a message. We'd love to get in touch with you and hear more about you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and be limitless, my friends.